And for those of us bigger kids who are staying in the service, I'm going to ask Pastor Steve to come and share with us. I'm excited about what he's going to share with us. We've been talking about a, a little series on some lost things recently. Today, I got a sneak peek at the 837 service. God's got some good things for us. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor James. Yeah, you can have that. Need that. Been coming here long enough to not worry about filling in a card. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That's tough too. Anyway, all good. Welcome, everyone. How are we all? Good morning, John. Good to see everybody. It is uh, my privilege to be able to share the word again, a uh, second time for today. And as we do so, uh, why don't you just put your hands on your heart and, and we just open this time of sharing the word in prayer. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that you do dwell within us. For those who have called upon your name, Lord, the reality is that springs of water, springs of living water belong and are bubbling up even now in our lives. For those who are here today, Lord, who haven't quite made the decision to call upon your name, we pray that you would speak to them through your word. You would speak to us, Lord, your church, about what you want to say. We open our hearts up to receive. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. So, um, as, as James said, we, we are in the middle of a three-week series looking at lost things. The three parables that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 15 uh, in response to some pretty, I suppose, nasty comments by the uh, Pharisees in that they're saying that this man, he eats with sinners. And if you were here last week or if you watched on the video, and good day to you guys watching the video on uh, Facebook Live. If you can't be with us today, it's good that you can log on and see what's going on. But it, if you were here last week, you would understand that the Pharisees were kind of mocking Jesus for, for the fact that he was eating with sinners. They were kind of trying to tear down and discredit Jesus for the things that that he was doing, but, but Jesus was trying to show value to those who he, he had literally come to seek and to save. He said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. And uh, he was dwelling with, with prostitutes, with the sinners, with the, the tax collectors and, and all sorts of people. And much like we are called to do today in our life. And, and last week we looked at the parable of the lost sheep. And I called you all stupid sheep, if you remember. And uh, you know I was only playing when I did that. Today we're going to look at the parable of the uh, lost coin. It's the middle parable of the three parables. It's also the shortest parable, only three verses in, in its entirety. Uh, but but we, while we look at the Bible and we read it in its context and we see what, what Jesus is saying in its context, and in this context he's talking to the Pharisees about the purpose of why he came to seek and save, we've also got to ask what is the Holy Spirit saying to us as we uh, look at it as a church today? Because many of us have heard this parable before. Many of us would have read it numerous times as we've read through the, the Gospel of Luke. And if you haven't gone and read this pa passage in particular, go and spend some time reading Luke chapter 15 and see what Jesus has to say. But, but what is it for the day? What is it for right now that Jesus is talking to us? And I think there's this season I shared last week where we, we, we're stepping into a season of increase. We, we, we're stepping into a season of harvest. An increase is different to harvest. Uh, increase is, is actually what I think... Holy Spirit is talking about directly to us as a church in this moment before he leads us into the season of harvest. And he wants the, the storehouses to be full. 
He wants the grain to come in. He wants the harvest reaped, but he wants those whom he's already saved to rise up and to join with him in reaping the harvest, which is outstanding. But I just think that these three parables have a specific message for us in this season, and that is that we are in a place of increase. So let's look at what Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost coin, has to say. If you want to know, that is a, a, a coin from Mario World, Mario Brothers, sometimes some of you are gamers out there. Has anyone got a coin on them right now? Someone's reaching into their pocket really quick. Marky's got a coin. Fantastic. Oh, you're worth more money than Janita's. She gave me 10 cents. <laughs> now, I did say to Janita's in the first service I'd give her 10 cents back to her, but obviously I've lied. Um, I did go looking for her. She didn't come, so I will give that her 10 cents back, trust me. But Marky... If I don't give you two bucks back, you've shouted me half a coffee. <laughs> no, no, true, that's all right. Uh, I'll give you two bucks back, all right? But um, look, we know that the coin has got two sides to it. And as we speak to you today about the, the, the parable of the lost coin, I really want you to be open to see there's two sides to this, this word that Jesus is talking to us about today. And the ones, on the one side, we've got the face of the queen or the bust of the queen. And, uh, and, and really, it's an individual person, isn't it? Now, she represents a nation, but in this case, she's an individual person. So I want you to see that on one side of the coin, it's actually going to be speaking to you individually as a person. And then on the other side of the coin, on this case, in the $2 coin, we've got an individual person representing the indigenous uh, population of our, of our country. But normally there's animals as well, or there could be individual people, there could be groups of people. Um, just on the other side... Usually there's a lot of different creativity, and I think ultimately what that's talking about for me that you can see is that there's creativity in the church, and God has called us together to be of unity. And, and so I'm talking first side, it's very little, but individually to you, and then spin it around to us corporately as churches, okay, and, and seeing that, that we do that. Is that all right? So just wanted to say that you don't get that with a Mario coin, you only get the little slot there. And, um, so I had to show you that in reality. So now I've got $2.10. Is there any advance on $2.10? Any advance? Look, I've got a dollar. I found a dollar on the way. Just in case someone wasn't going to trust me in giving the coin back, I'll put another dollar up there and we're almost out of coffee. Okay, awesome. Praise God. So let's read this scripture together and uh, as, as we read, I've got it up there on the screen for you. Luke chapter 10, uh, 15, verse 8 to 10 says, and this is Jesus speaking, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just in a little diversion there on this passage of scripture, do you realise how much joy there is when one person comes to know the salvation and the grace of our have you ever had the privilege of leading someone into the kingdom of God? How much joy comes from seeing the, the jubilation on their face? How much joy is there when, when you see or you, you tune in and you hear the celebrations of what's going on in heaven as one sinner repents and comes into the saving grace of Jesus? Often, often as Christians, we, we get caught up in, 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 in doing things and we, we neglect that there is something to be done that would cause us to overflow in abundant joy. 
And that is sharing the gospel of Jesus. Do we connect with that? You see, Jesus in all three of these parables actually says, how much joy is there when one sinner repents? But getting back to the coin, we've got, got a couple of coins up there for you to see. You can see up there the, the Greek drachma, which is probably the coin that Jesus was referring to in his day, the Greek drachma, which, which over here was also the currency at the time, was the Roman denarii. Both coins had the same value in, in approximate senses. The value of that coin was a one day's wages. One day's wages was the value of that coin. So this woman has got 10 coins. She's got 10 days worth of wages. That's a lot of money, isn't it? How much money is that? Well, well let's think. One drachma, one denarii. I did some research and the average wage in New South Wales here in Australia at the moment, New South Wales, is $82,436. That's the median wage in New South Wales. Now I look at that and like many of you, some of you might actually earn more than that. Praise God for that. Some of you are probably in the kettle of saying, well, I don't quite reach $82,000 in my wage. Yeah, right? Um, so, so I thought, well, 82 grand, that's a lot of money. Um, but how am I going to be relevant to people in Griffith? Okay, I'll look up and I searched online, what's the median wage per annum for, for someone living in Griffith? And, and you might be shocked to understand that it's somewhere between fifty-two dollars and $63,000. $52,000, $63,000. Now, uh, $52,000 is about 30 grand short of the New South Wales average. Who would like a $30,000 pay rise tomorrow? <laughs> Straight up, all the hands go up, and the boss is in the house going, Steve, don't do that, you're going to give me a lot of trouble, right? Yeah? But, but the reality is, somewhere around that fifty dollars to $80,000 is the median wage in our area. And, uh, and some of us are below that median, some of us are above that median, but in the end, that's the average. And so I wrote that down, that's about, if you worked on the lowest one, 52000 that's about... 142 bucks a day. It's pretty good money, isn't it? 142 dollars. And so this is round that up, 150 bucks to make it easy. This woman has got 1,500 dollars in her hands. 1,500 bucks. Who's held 1,500 dollars lately? No. Dylan, come and see me afterwards, mate, because I've got a few coffees to buy. <laughs> 1,500 bucks, right? Um, so, so the. So one denarii, one denarii equals 150 bucks. And if you're going to translate it into today's terms, she's holding $1,500 in her hand. And she's careless, not with a coin, but with $150. If you've got $150 and you put it in a safe place, and that safe place, you go back to that safe place, and the $150 is missing, are you going to be a little bit upset? Are you going to be a little bit panicked? I tell you, 150 bucks, I'm going to be a little bit panicked if I've lost 150 bucks. True. If I've lost that $150, what am I going to do? I'm going to turn my drawers out on my bed. When I can't find my $150 in my bed, I'm going to lift up my mattress and all the stuff that I've just tipped out, all my jocks and socks, they're going to go all on the floor. I guess who's going to have to pick them up? Yeah. Who said Sarah? I'm going to pick them up, right? Because I'm a good husband. Okay, so I'm going to pick up my socks and my jocks and I'm going to find the 150 bucks. When I don't find my 150 bucks, guess who I'm going to? 
Sarah. And, and then if she has spent my 150 bucks, I'm going to go, oh no, that was really careless with that. I should have given it better. Um, but if she says, I haven't seen $150, I'm going to go to my kids and I'm going to blame them. You stole my money. I'm going to be really diligent in finding 150 bucks. If, I, if I've lost this 10 cent coin, I'm not really going to turn the house up and over them. I've, I've renovated a couple of houses in my time. Uh, helping people and whatever, and, and I've pulled walls off and I've found pennies. Who's ever found pennies under the under the walls and under the timbers and all sorts of things? We're kind of a bit careless when it comes to a coin, aren't we? But when it's $150 or a day's wages, we're not going to be careless, are we? That's that's a lot of work gone into my getting that $150. And this woman, somehow, some way, she's lost this coin and she lights a lamp and she digs through the house and she sweeps it clean trying to find the $150. In her case, one coin. It's a coin of value. But it's not the coin, is it? We can talk about money all we like. It's not the value of the money. In fact, the coin represents a person. And the coin represents a value on a person's life. It's not $150, it's not a denario, it's not a drachma, it's not, it's not a million dollars, it's, it, it's the person's life. That is the value. There's something more valuable here to Jesus than what the pictures or the analogies give us. So let's just quickly look at what Jesus' message is really for us today from a two-sided coins perspective. Firstly, he's saying to us to sweep the decks clean. Tip out the drawers. Find the rubbish. Get rid of the rubbish. The things that you've put away for a long time and you've never gone back and looked at that are actually hindering you and weighing you down. Let's sweep the decks clean. Let's tip over the bed mattress. Let's, let's sweep the floor and vacuum the floor. Let's make sure that our house is clean. Why? Because, because there's something valuable we've got to go out and look for. We've got to find this thing of value. So as I said, there's two sides of the coin. And if, if one side of me, just say this side represents you as an individual person. And then the other side represents the church. And, and it could be not just this church. It could be the church locally. It could be the church uh, across Australia. It could be the global church. Just, let's just think of it in a bigger scale while Jesus is talking to us. There's the individual and then there's the church. There's, there's, uh, there's some things within this that, that I like. The, the woman can represent both an individual woman, or it could represent Jesus' bride, the church. The, the coin, something significant, something of value, of which Jesus says the individual is valued, and so is his bride, so is his church. The, the house, again, representing the, the individual because we called the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's an individual passage talking to us as someone who is someone who encounters and, and carries the Holy Spirit. We, we were singing the song Fullness and we were asking Holy Spirit to come and that's not necessarily fill this house. I believe that's actually an individual cry that he would come and he would fill our life. And like I prayed for you earlier when you had your hands on your heart, that he would transform the... the the fountain of living water, the spring of living water that is Jesus living in us, which John talks about, and Jesus talks about in John, 
and three chapters later, I think it is, he talks about the very same thing, that the Holy Spirit would no longer be a fountain of life springing up, but that he would be a river overflowing of life that would overflow and touch many, many other people. And that same river is likened to the river that we see in Revelation 20 that is flowing out from the throne room of grace itself. That, that river flowing in our life. And that's why we're saying, Holy Spirit, come, bubble over. If you've been filled with the Spirit, that's what's happened in your life. The spring of, river, of living water has sprung up and now it's bubbled over to a point where you're filled with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of sharing the gospel, for the purpose of reaching the lost, whether that be a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son, whether that be just someone who is continually messing it up. So, so the house can represent the individual. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. But the house should also represent the church of God. Holy Spirit, use your church. Fill your church. But I like, I didn't pick this one up before, but I really like what it says there. It says, um, it says, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. Does she not... Go and light up a lamp. And, and I missed that one in the first service. The first service, I didn't talk about the lamp, but the lamp, the lamp is the word of God in our life. Do we not light up the word of God? We're asking the Holy Spirit as an individual, as a church, does he not light up the word of God in our life that it would transform us so much so that we would see that it, once we're saved, it's not about my comfort and my concern, but it's about the comfort of those he's called us to go to. Sweep the house clean. Obviously, sweeping represents an action that facilitates cleanliness. Are we, are we, as individuals, are we squeaky clean before God? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Now, from a legal standing in a state situation, yes, you're righteous, holy, redeemed. But from a sanctification perspective, are we... Are we open enough to allow God to convict our heart so that we can deal with the things that this world has tainted in our life? Whether we've been acting in iniquity or someone has hurt us and we've locked away a fence. But even as a church, that same thing can happen. Easily, the individuals and the leaders in the church can make mistakes and offend people, can hurt people. And... and uh, Therefore, having to sweep the house clean is this heart to say, are we repentant before God? Are we actively seeking out forgiveness in the areas where we need forgiveness and actively giving over the things to God where we've caused offence or taken on offence? You know, you can take on offence really easily. And if you don't deal with that really quickly, then it can stay deep in our hearts and in our lives and, and, and it affects us in an emotional way and then eventually that will become springing up to a bitter root in your life. And God doesn't want you to have a bitter root in your life. He, he wants to dig that root out and nullify that and, and get rid of that out of your life. And that's, Holy Spirit wants to sweep you clean. We say that he wants to do that today. Is that something that we think he, he might be able to do? as he's dealing with us around this parable of seeking the lost. So let's look at the church on one side. 
There's your big concept. Today, this message is for the whole church and it's also for you as an individual. Here we go, side one. Let's look at the church. On one side of the coin, we see the representation of the church. Like I said, it could be global, it could be the local church, it could be combined, it could be the individual church. Each church has um, responsibility in this area. How, how could we have been careless? How, how can a church have so simply lost one of the ten valuable points? A day's wages. How, how can we be careless? Well, one way is that we can treat people bad. And there are people in church life that has been treated bad. Uh, we, we, could, we could treat individuals lightly. We could... We could put too much pressure on them, thinking that, that they're a resource that needs to be expended and therefore let's use them until they burn out. So many people in church history have been burned out by leaders that are not looked out for them. We could, we could say things that, that, uh, that, that hinder your walk and, and, and stifle your life. We could, we could not listen as a church. We could not listen that, uh, to, the, to the voice of God in your life and, and, and make way for you to discover the things God wants you to discover, nor the purposes of your life. There's, there's lots of ways that a church can hurt an individual or many members. There's lots of ways pride can sneak in and, 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 and this has happened. Or what about the manipulation of people? That's a big one, isn't it? People can be manipulated. Uh, the elephant in the room would obviously be, like, for example, the Royal Commission into... Um, institutional abuse. The church has got to stand up and say we've been guilty of this in the past. Not this church, thank God. But from a global perspective, the church haven't handled this really, really well. And, and there are people who would once have not just followed Jesus with all their heart, but were sown into churches that are today out in the world lost because they've been treated carelessly like this one coin that the woman somehow lost. The church has got to understand that within this context there are things that we have to stand up and take account for. Obviously that's what the woman did. She, she had nine coins. I was hoping by about now I would have had nine coins up here but no one wanted to run out and give me any more coins. She had nine coins. She, she had them in her hand and she took a count and she counted those coins out and as she counted them out, she realised there was one missing. How would you feel when you take a count and take stock as, as a church? And we're all in this. It's not just the leaders. Like, church is the church. Like, you, a leader can offend you just as easily as the person next to you can offend you. Does that make sense? Like, we might be saying something that is true and right and biblical, but if we say it in a way that the person can't receive it and they take on offence, then we've dealt carelessly 
with that which is of value. The church has to see that people are valuable. And when we lift up our eyes and we start to talk about increase, we start to talk about what, where God's leading us, then there's, there's responsibility as a church to start to seek those who have been hurt by the church and finding ways where we can appropriate healing and restoration and reconciliation for the person who quite actively would say that they love Jesus but they hate the church or they hate Christians. They can't stand them because they're hypocritical. Am, am, am I speaking right here or am I touching a nerve? Like, we've got to see this, that we've all got a responsibility in this. So if we flip over from that, let's get to the individual, the second side of this coin. Because ultimately what we have to do is begin to believe that what God says is valuable, is valuable. How have we as individuals on this side of the coin, how have we as individuals responded or reached out or affected or offended those who are dear to us in our life? Have we been the right husbands and wives? Have we been the right parents to our children or the right response from a child to a parent? Have we? Have we treated our our work the work employees or our, our our staff or or those we walk with have we treated them with contempt as individuals? Have we as workers not worked for our boss as unto the Lord and therefore put a stumbling block in their life? If this is how a Christian would work, then I never want to be a Christian. That's the individual accountability on this side of the parable. On this side of the coin. But what is it about my life that is not attractive when I start to talk about Jesus? So let's let's just really quickly look at the value of a person. Because, like I said, that we must come to a place we must value what God says. Value. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. It wasn't a lost coin. It wasn't even a lost sheep. It was lost humanity. So what is valuable to God? And why does God see us as valuable? We've got four scriptures for us that 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 we could pick out any scripture from the Bible and we could find that God's saying that we are valuable. But but there's four that this is one of the highlight today for us and First one is Psalms 139, 13 to 16. Let me read it to you. It says this. For you were formed in my... Sorry, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made and seen, beautifully woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. 
God loves the individual person so much that he would knit them together and he would place in them a personality and gifts and wonders that need to be discovered in every individual person's life. And not only that, but he orchestrated the very steps of your life before you were even thought of by your parents. The value of a person, if God would do that before he even spoke a word into existence, or even before he spoke the earth into existence, because the psalmist is relating to the, the dust, which is what he formed Adam out of. So before the dust even was, God orchestrated your days. How much value then is upon the life of a human being? Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus again, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grasses of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Are you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and you, your heavenly Father, knows you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What about Romans 5 and verse 8? Romans 5 verse 8 says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. So we move from our, our physical needs, that God knows them, he's concerned about them, and he wants them fulfilled in our life, but we only need to trust him and put his ways first, to this place now that when we put his ways first, we understand we do that because he has sought after us, that, that he has come, that while we were still lost in our depravity and sin, Jesus would hang on a cross and die. For us. And the last one I, I, I put up for your reflection if you write the notes and, and go home is Ephesians 2 4 to 9. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Who's happy about that? That Jesus has made you alive. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one may boast. And not only did Jesus pursue us, not only did he come into the world and pay the ransom price, but then those who would accept him are adopted into his family and being positioned in Christ are seated in heavenly realms with God. The value of a life is more than one coin. So you can have that back because God says that my life is valuable more than one coin. My life is more valuable than one coin. Your life is more valuable than one coin. Your life is more than a day's wages. It's more than even the median wage in New South Wales. It's more than anything that you can fathom. Because your life is the value of what someone would pay for. And Jesus paid it with his entire life. So, how much more then should we value the life another being, of another person, another human? How much more should we now, having tasted of the grace and the goodness of God, should we not only be partakers of that, but someone who would take that message and find that which was lost? The value of a human life is, the intrinsic value of a human life is very important to Jesus. Do you know that? Let's not treat people the way we treat something as common as money. And some of us know what I'm saying here. Some of us are, are really loose with our money. Let's not treat people like that. Let's not undervalue. Let's not overvalue. Let's have the right perspective of what a human life is worth in the eyes of God. So as a church, what do we do? Well, in general, we must be honest with ourselves as churches, with the leading of Jesus. Individual members of the church, leaders within the church, we, we must be open to the voice and accept where we have made mistakes and seek God's forgiveness. Because when we receive God's forgiveness, the plan is restoration, it's, it's reconciliation, it's, it's restitution. It means churches have to come to a place where, where we're open enough to not only tell of our mistakes, but repent of them and change the way that we live. The church must reach out beyond herself. After taking stock and seeking the cleansing flow of God's forgiveness and then reach out, seeking for many that have been hurt. There are many even in our community who have been hurt by the church. Something funny happened in the first service and that was, um, I said, who's going to be careless with $150? And... Uh, and someone funny raised their hand up and I said, well, okay, 
I'm going to follow you around if you're going to be careless with that a day's wages and I'm going to pick that money up behind you and I'm going to stick it in my pocket. The reality is I would offer that money back to them, wouldn't I? But if they're going to treat it as common, they might think, well, that's not my money. And all of a sudden, there's 150 bucks running around and I don't know what to do with it. So I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to fold it up and I'm going to put it into my pocket. There are people out there that have been hurt by churches and they don't even know they They've just snuck out the back door and they've been lost. They've been hurt. They've been, they've been missed. And while we'll do everything in our power to try and get them restored to the church, ultimately we're going to fold them up and we're going to put them in the fold that Jesus has put us in. Why? Because Jesus wants them restored. He wants them reconciled. He wants them activated. He wants them serving him in the purposes that he has for them. I'm not being silly in that. I'm being open. I'm being honest. I'm saying, you know what? The value of a human, of a person's life is far more greater than Jesus. And if we can participate and seeing them reconciled to the plans and purposes of God, then I'm going to go out there and I'm going to seek and save that which is lost. And I think as a church, we need to have the same heart. You know people in the church community who are hurting and they need someone to come around and pray with them, release them, encourage them to go back to their churches, encourage them to find restoration in Jesus. And if they go back to their churches, fantastic. But if it's been too long and they have no church, no home. Bring them home. Does that make sense? I'm not telling you to go and steal people. I'm telling you to go and restore people. It's a big difference. Because there's a value on their life. What about a personal application? What about the individual? What is it that we need to do? If we're going to be these kind of people where where we're acting in the acting uh, in the church as, as responsible people, as the way Christ is empowering us to be, as people who, 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 who are looking to be uh, effective in the kingdom's purposes of God, how do we get there? How, how do we apply this to the other side of the coin? And the reality is, it may be time for some of us to sweep the decks clean. The reality is, maybe we've locked away in offence. Maybe there's a hurt in us that is secretly in a place where we don't even know it's there, but all we do is we feel the pain of the result of being there. And it's, it's growing and it's causing bitterness in your life towards someone or something or, 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 or it's affecting your ministry in God. What is it as individuals we need to do? Well, we need to sweep the decks clean. We, we have to invite the Holy Spirit into our journey to heal us, to overcome us, to overcome the hurts in our life, to overcome the pain in our heart, to overcome that which we have put in place to protect us. And you know what I'm talking about. You know, you know if someone's hurt you, that there still could be a sting there if you haven't forgiven them. But my fear is that these people that are walking, and it's not a fear as such, it's a, it's a burden, it's a driver in my life. My, my, my heart is the same. If there's someone out there that's got an offence against the church, 
or an offense against an individual Christian or an offense even about me. What's going to happen when there's that reconciliation of Jesus' words where he says that if there's unforgiveness in your heart, you will not inherit the kingdom of God? What's going to happen when I stand before my king and there's burden because of unforgiveness there? Well, it's time to sweep the deck clean. Let there not, let there not be unforgiveness in our life because it's causing you all sorts of pain. It's causing you all sorts of hurt. It's causing you to be inactive in the things of God. It's causing you to listen to the voice of the enemy that says you're no good. It's causing you all of these things. And like a, it just needs to be, it's like a stake in the heart. It just needs to be ripped out. It's got to go. Sometimes that's painful, but it doesn't need to be painful. We just need to be honest. Is there offence in my life? Is there bitterness in my life? Has someone hurt me that they haven't yet apologised for? Well, who cares? Let's forgive them anyway. Jesus was hanging on the cross. And they were saying things about him and his mum. And he said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Did he wait for them to have a repentant heart and say, sorry, Jesus, I didn't mean to say that. No, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The hurts in your heart, the people, they don't know that they've done it. They're not aware of it. And if you're expecting them to come back to pay recompense, well, then, then you, you, you've allowed bitterness to creep in. And Jesus is saying, it's time to deal with that as an individual. It's time to get rid of that because there's, there's a season of increase. There's a season of growth. I want to pour out my spirit on all flesh. I want the churches of Griffith Paul. I want to return. But he's doing it in his time because he's patient with us. The message of the lost coin is really to shake us up today, to realise let's just put it all out on the table. Let's take an account of our life and let's find that coin that was missing in our hearts. And that might be the very fact that there's an area of our life that I've locked away and Jesus hasn't yet been able to give me forgiveness in that place. If you're honest with Jesus today, let me tell you, his blood will flow into that area and he will heal you in that area and he will set you free in that area and you will receive forgiveness and you'll be able to forgive that person or the church or the family member or whoever. It might be your husband. It might be your wife. It might be your children. Whatever you're praying for, he will heal it today if you're open and honest with because the value of your life is so much greater to him than anyone else. It's even more valuable to him than it is to yourself. God wants to set you free. Invite the band back. And as they come, would you stand with me this morning? How great is it when one sinner returns in repentance to our God? How much celebration will there be in heaven today because of the area in your life that you have guarded from God is about to be washed and cleansed? 
The reason God wants to do this in your life is because he's sending you to find the ones who are hurting. There are too many empty seats in the too many churches in Griffith. They are empty because God wants them full. And his church is not stepping into them. Last week I said, let's go out and find the lost sheep, those who have just made one one degree change on the compass and they've been walking that way for 10 years and all of a sudden find themselves outside of God's purposes for their life. It's our job to put them on our shoulders and carry them back, sometimes kicking and screaming, sometimes anti-God, but when they come back into the house of God and they receive the love of God, they will be set free. Today, if you would open your heart up to what God wants to do in your life, then he's going to send you to find the lost coin, the one who has been treated carelessly, the one who has been treated with contempt, the one who is hurting because of abuse, because of manipulation, because of something that even you or I may have said. But he can't do it while there's a rock of offence in your own life. So if you would close your eyes with me, let me read this passage of scripture as you close your eyes. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Do you realize that if Jesus did it, the call of Jesus is on us to do the same thing? And while we are seated with Christ in heavenly realms and we enjoying the intimacy that we have with God, let's not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped, but let's 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 from that place go into the place where there others have not experienced it. Verse 8, Philippians 2 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So before us in this age of grace, before us in the time of the church, is an opportunity to make sure our life is 100% right with God. If it's not, the Bible strictly says, it doesn't matter, one day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Whether you do it by your own action today or your own, or you are forced against your will on that day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The reality is, right presented before you now, is an opportunity for you just to say, Jesus, there's a fence in my life. Jesus, there's a scar in my life. Jesus, there's a hurt. And I don't know where it's come from, but I want to let it go. I want to say sorry for holding on to it because it's not mine to hold on to. And I want to let it go today. Jesus, would your forgiveness flow? Would your blood flow in my life set me free? Because I want to set other people free. So if that's you today, I would invite you to come out the front. I would invite you to come out the front and I would I would ask you you would be the first to say that's me. Because I think there's more of us than one. 
It's all right if you don't. But there's an opportunity that's presented before us. And I don't want to force the issue. But Jesus is speaking and I know he is. I know the Holy Spirit's showing you something even in your heart today. Where you just caused where there's just been an offense and you just gotta lay it down and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. This was never my offense to pick up. say that on our behalf. We thank you that you grant us repentance and forgiveness, that your grace would flow once again. Lord, the lives that, that we have treated carelessly, we are we're sorry and we choose, Lord, to act in your will today and say, no, it's not going to happen again. We're going to put guards in place and we're not going to hurt other people. We're going to make room for people to talk to us and make room for people to discover their calling, make room for people to be activated in the things of God. Jesus, we ask that you would have your way in this church as your forgiveness flows. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would send your Holy Spirit upon this church once again and fill us with boldness today. Fill us with the boldness to proclaim the gospel, to not be scared of the labels and the things that are said about churches, but to own it and accept that and say that was then and this is now. We we are walking in the grace of God. So as a church, Lord, we, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. But as individuals, we, we come to you today with hands held high. Some need to confess this morning, Lord, to another person what it is that they have to let go of and in the, the the process of confessing, Lord, is like they will be emptying themselves. Holy Spirit, would you do a work in every individual's heart today? A restorative work, a reconciling work, a powerful work of the blood of Christ that was shed to set the captive free. Every rock of offense, every root of bitterness, in the name of Jesus, I command to be rooted out and to be forgiven and to be released now in the name of Jesus. Lord, as we offer up our, our, our repentance and our prayers that come deep from your heart, Lord, I pray. Holy Spirit, move into us. Holy Spirit, set us free. Holy Spirit, we thank you that the word says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And today you are setting free those who have been bound captive by unforgiveness. Lord, lift up our eyes to see those who have been hurt. That as our action step is, as we have received, freely we will give. 